You're tuned to WFHB. Volunteer-powered, listener-supported, Community Radio for South Central Indiana. Good afternoon. Reporting for WFHB, this is Noelle Herhusky-Schneider. And I'm Cade Young. This is the WFHB Local News for Wednesday, October 4th, 2023. Later in the program, we have Deep Dive, WFHB and Limestone Post Investigate, where we look into issues regarding health, housing, and the environment that directly impact residents of Monroe County. Also coming up in the next half hour, we have Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. More following today's feature. But first, Deep Dive. This is Deep Dive, WFHB and Limestone Post Investigate, where we look into issues regarding health, housing, and the environment that directly impact residents of Monroe County. We are looking into Indiana's legislation that pertains to education. This week, we look into library censorship, how the legislation came about, what it means for public libraries, and what is being done about it. Library censorship is especially relevant since this week is Banned Books Week, an annual event that highlights the value of free and open access to information. Banned Books Week began in 1982 in response to a sudden surge in the number of challenges to books in libraries, bookstores, and schools. Here in Indiana, House Enrolled Act 1447 is set to take effect on January 1, 2024. According to Steve Hennefeld, who wrote the print version of this month's deep dive for the Limestone Post, House Enrolled Act 1447, quote, prohibits schools from providing students with materials that are obscene or, quote, harmful to minors, although there's no evidence that they do. It requires school corporations and charter schools to post online lists of all the books in their libraries and print lists for those who request them. Schools also must establish and publicize a procedure for parents or community members to petition for removing books. Finally, the law says educators charged with providing obscene or harmful materials can no longer defend themselves with a claim that the materials are educational, end quote. House Enrolled Act 1447 was authored by state legislator Donna Shabley, a Republican representing Carmel. It passed with strong majorities in both chambers of the state house. According to Indiana Code, harmful to minors includes nudity, sexual content, or sadomasochistic abuse, a persuasiveness for minors to engage in sexual activities, offensive content to community standards for adults considering what's suitable for minors to see, and content void of serious literary, artistic, political, or scientific value to kids. Reporting by the Indy Star says that librarians who violate the law could be charged with a level six felony and face up to two and a half years of jail time. To learn more about this and how the legislation is impacting libraries, we spoke with the Indiana Library Federation co-chair, Victoria Martin. Martin is a librarian herself and shared what her role is at the ILF. I'm the director at the Greensburg Decatur County Public Library. And so, yes, I am a librarian by trade and education. Um, So the Indiana Library Federation, um, 
we are we support um, librarians and libraries all over the state. Um, we are a um, a membership, so you would have to to become a member, um, and we are for both libraries and librarians, um, and librarians in academic, um, public libraries, you know, any any sort of, we represent all different kinds of libraries, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, and then my role is I am currently the co-chair of the advocacy committee. Um, so we mainly focus on um, legislation, uh, and the happenings around that, but we also, you know, we've, <laughs> over the years, it's kind of morphed into some intellectual freedom issues, you know, and more of being advocates for libraries and not just focusing on the legislative session. The Indiana Library Federation is the statewide nonprofit organization for all library types, academic, public, school, special, and library supporters. On May 5th, 2023, they issued a statement saying that they passionately denounce censorship in all of its forms. Martin spoke on this. The big thing is that, you know, we are against censorship, and that includes different kinds of censorship. I know one of the things that has come up um, recently is moving books um, from an area of their intended audience. You know, for, for example, moving young adult or teen books out of that area to the adult area. I mean, that's a type of censor censorship, too. Um, we just, we are against censorship, obviously, um, and believe that people really need to think for themselves. I know a lot of the controversy has stemmed from, um, lately anyway, from parents um, wanting to make decisions for their children. And the big thing is, you know, that is fine. We completely support parents making decisions for their children, but they should not be making decisions for other people's children. Um, you know, that's what makes libraries a great, a great institution. You know, we, we provide materials for everyone. And if you don't like it, simply don't check it out, you know, and, and if you're a parent, talk to your child about why your family doesn't support that idea or why you don't want your child to read that, that particular book, because, you know, the next parent, comes up behind you and they want their child to read that book you know so it's it's a it's censorship does not belong in libraries martin gave some background on the legislation and how her library already has pre-existing collection development policies they follow to ensure they are cultivating a suitable book collection so this type of legislation has been um coming up all over the country uh for several years um, I think there is a there is a group um, and several groups of parents, um, people that are really um, you know trying to um, crack down. I guess you could say on um, on censorship. On um, they don't see they don't believe that others should be allowed. It seems to have you know, access to, to everything, um, and they're really trying to protect their children. So it kind of stems, this legislation has popped up for several years. Um, I joined the advocacy committee um, in late 2019, and so in 2020 we faced legislation here in Indiana that um, wanted to redefine um, 
basically um, the definition of material harmful to minors um, and trying to ban materials from libraries that they felt fit this definition, which is in the law, the definition of material harmful to minors and obscene material, um, and kind of change that definition and get books banned from libraries um, because they felt that these these books fit into that that legal description and you know as as ILF has said from the beginning no book on any library shelf will fit the description of a material harmful to minors or obscene material um, because the 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 definition the legal definition is is pretty specific and so it has to meet certain criteria um, and the books that we're putting on our shelves are um, professional, professionally reviewed books that we are, I mean, librarians are professional, so we take our jobs very seriously. Um, and so we all have collection development policies, and we follow these collection development policies, and it requires reviews for these books. And a lot of the books that are getting challenged right now have won multiple awards, you know, state awards, national awards. Um, for bringing up topics that I think are hard for people to read about, are hard for people to understand or get through, and, and they think that it's obscene or um, material that shouldn't be, that teenagers should not be allowed to read. Um, and so they have brought this to legislators and over several years um, just keep bringing it back to legislators saying, hey, these books are in, inappropriate and should not be on the shelf. Well, I think it finally just kind of has come to a head, and it has across the country, too, um, that, that legislators feel like they need to do something. They're seeing the books. They are taking parts of books out of context um, mm -hmm. and not looking at them as a whole, and that is something that the law, um, the definition for obscene material requires you to look at, look at a book or, you know, a movie or whatever um, as a whole, and they're just picking out certain things in these books and saying, hey, I don't approve of this, um, I don't like this, and um, let's change the law so we can ban these books. And, you know, that is, that is the thing that we are fighting against in ILF is that you need to these books may be uncomfortable, um, and then sometimes they have hard topics, but they're taken as a whole are not obscene, are not inappropriate. They do have reviews. And that's not to say that some materials, you know, uh, some things are designated, and, and in these reviews they'll say recommended for grades 9 through 12. That means, you know, these books aren't in an elementary because they're not recommended for, you know, <laughs> grades mm -hmm. one through three. A child one through three, grades one through three, shouldn't probably be reading a book that is, you know, intended for a high school kid. Um, and that's why librarians are so, you know, we follow the, the, the collection development policies that are set by, um, well, for me, you know, we have a public library board, or in a school, it would be a school library, you know, a library board or a school board um, that sets the policies that we follow. She gave an example from her library where residents have complained about certain books and how the library board has handled it. We did have some concerned um, 
community members. And it was back in 2019, actually. It was mm. several years ago um, when things started to snowball before COVID. Um, and that's kind of during and after COVID, that's kind of when things really started to take off. I think that, you know, with everything happening in society, the book challenging was just one of those things, along with, you know, masking and um, just everything. Um, so back in 2019, we did have community members come to our uh, board meetings, um, concerned about some of the books that were on our shelves. Um, we did not move any materials or remove any materials. Um, they were concerned about our Pride Month display that we had in June. And then we also do a banned books display, which comes out um, during banned books week. We did it for a whole month that year, um, and we had a display of books that were banned. And um, so they were concerned about those two displays. They came to... Um, Oh, probably at least six months worth of board meetings um, until we had to stop having board meetings because of COVID mm-hmm. <laughs> in early 2020. Um, but it, they they were concerned about the books, children having access to the books, um, and our board stuck with the collection development policy that we had in place. Um, they felt like we were serving our community with all of the titles that we had on display, on both displays. Um, We had reviews for all of the books. Um, You know, I I was very open with the board about what titles they had complained about, but in reality, we only had one formal complaint. Um, So a formal complaint for us would be we have a form that they can fill out, and it has several questions on it. It's available on our website. Um, they tell us, you know, if they, what the title is, what they found wrong, um, what they want us to do with it, if they read the entire um, book or whatever, if it was an audio book, listen to the book. Um, and then I, they turn that form into me as the director. I look at the material um, and determine what I think should be done with it. Um, and that could range from, you know, I don't feel like this should be in the children's room. Maybe it should go in the adult section. Or um, if I can't find any reviews for it and I don't feel or I feel like it's out of date, something like that. Um, but the only, they only challenged one book, and I found that it, had, it was written um, by a doctor with several degrees. And she also, and the book was reviewed, had very well reviews. I decided to keep the book where it was. It was in the adult nonfiction section. Um, And I wrote the patron and told them that. um, And they did not take it any further. If they wanted to, they could have taken it to the board. um, And then the board could have made a decision um, from there. So, and really that's the only one I've had as a formal complaint. Mm -hmm. Um, we've had parents come in and um, talk to us in person. I feel personally, if we can have a conversation with um, with the parent or with the, the community person, the patron that comes in, if we can have an open and honest conversation, that's where I would like for it to stop mm-hmm. <laughs> so that we don't have to go through this formal um, reconsideration process. Um, I think if you, and, and 
I would say almost every time, there has only been a couple of times that we've had actual formal reviews of materials. It is always stopped with this honest conversation. And it's a, you know, I hear what you're saying. I understand that you don't like this book or don't approve of this book for XYZ reasons. And, um, and this is why I think we should have it on the shelf. And, you know, a lot of times they just want to tell you that they don't approve of it, which is completely fine. I, I would never want to make a decision for another parent on what they, you know, on what their child should be reading. So just that honest conversation. Um, mm-hmm. This year we had a, a Pride Month display um, and we had a few people complain, but then I also received numerous letters throughout the community uh, for community members that they were in support of it. So, um, you know, it's just the we're trying to serve everyone. And so I have materials here that, you know, we always, we have a saying around here is that um, there's materials in the library for everyone. And even some of them offend me, you know, Mm -hmm. (laughs) because I don't approve of everything that's on the shelf either, you know, as far as topics go. Um, But, but that's the whole point of a library, a public library, you know, is that we have everything all kinds of materials for everybody on the shelf. She also gave an example that didn't happen at her library, but rather the Hamilton Southeastern Public Library that made the news. Indiana author John Green's novel, The Fault in Our Stars, was censored and moved to the adult section in the library. Martin said that the library board initiated the changes after it received new board members. So they've been, they've had um, quite the turnover in board, library board members, um, and the the board came up with a different collection development policy, um, and the librarians were having to basically read every book to see, um, because the criteria set forth in the collection development policy was um, very specific. So if it contained so many curse words or if it contained a certain sex scene or something like that, then the book should be moved out of the teen area and into the adult collection. And that is a form of censorship because you're moving, you know, this book was intended, like The Fault in Our Stars, um, was intended for teenagers and you're moving it to the adult section. So you're really, so kids are, so teenagers, if they want to read that book, are having to go to the adult section. You know, you're, you're limiting their access by moving materials. Um, so anyway, um, one of the books that they had read that they had decided needed to go to the adult section. But anyway, they moved The Fault in Our Stars to the adult collection, and John Green, the author of the book, mm-hmm. um, got wind of that. And he, um, well, he, he went to Twitter X now um, and <laughs> had a few choice words about the the library board there. He also wrote some letters um, and taught and tried to I think talk to some of the the board members about the collection development policy um, because he just he felt like it was censorship um, that they had moved his obvious teen book to mm-hmm. the adult collection. So um, so that's kind of where that stems from um, and. I mean, it's interesting that it, it took this collection development policy went into effect a while back, and they um, 
and it took a big time Indiana author to say something finally, finally about it to really for their board to actually say, oh, wait a minute, maybe this policy isn't what it should be. And so I know that they are currently looking at the policy again and, and could potentially revise it. Martin shared that the legislation has a chilling effect on librarians and teachers, where they might not know exactly what is or is not allowed, and consequently, they will just avoid certain topics. I mean, that's the whole chilling effect, right? It's mm-hmm. always in the back of your mind. You're always kind of worried about things. Um, and I think the big thing is, yes, we are following our policies. Yes, we are all going to follow the law. You know, that's that's why it's we have to follow the law. Um you know, as I said before, we do not have materials on our shelves that fit this material harmful to minors definition or the obscene material definition. We are still doing our jobs. We are still following our collection development policies. We're reading reviews. We're looking at award-winning books. I don't, I don't want to say we're afraid because we're, we're not afraid. It's just always like, what's coming next kind of thing? <laughs> because the, the legislation that passed this um, past session really focused on schools. Um, and so I think as a public librarian, I am concerned that there could be more legislation um, against public libraries. So we'll see what what comes up. Um, but you know we are we are following the law. We are you know still doing what we're doing. It's just we're kind of, I think some people, are kind of in the back of their minds. They're like, oh, rethinking how they're choosing books, like really, really doing a deep dive on some of these titles that maybe before they were like maybe reading just one review and maybe now they're trying to find several reviews instead of just one or something like that. State Senator Mark Mesmer, a Republican who represents Jasper, said in a statement, quote, parents have a right to know what their children are reading in school. And this new law does that while increasing transparency in our schools, end quote. Paul Farmer, president of the MCCSC Teachers Union, the Monroe County Education Association, expressed concern about the precedent this law will set. I think what's going to happen is more and more teachers will probably become more and more and more conservative about what books they do provide. Because they simply don't want the hassle of maybe having to go through this. Farmer says he worries that the policy will prevent difficult conversations that he believes are important to have in the classroom. Would a teacher not push conversations to where students, you know, you're getting into that is it ethically right to do X, Y, Z, whatever it is. Or as people talk about these tough conversations um, about slavery that that we're having across the country right now. And those are great conversations to have. I think that that's where this is going to bleed into. It's just a hampering of, I think, teachers looking at their curricula. There's going to be a lot more, I think, my personal opinion is there'll be a lot more of teachers that, well, do I want to expand out into that? Got to be a great topic to have this great conversation. And then they're going to go to their administrators and go, hey, I'm thinking of doing this, D to D to D to D. What do you think? And then eventually, I think it's just a, going to be a tamper, you know, to tamp down some readings that 
are really good for kids and thought process. Um, but we'll see. Martin shared what topics are being targeted and censored. So it seems like the the big the big topics or the big you know things that they're focusing on are race relations and that kind of thing, and a lot of it is your LGBTQ plus material. Those seem to be like the materials that are getting the most heat throughout the country and especially in Indiana. A report published by the literary advocacy group PEN America found that between July 2021 and June 2022, book bans occurred in 138 school districts in 32 states, impacting almost 4 million students. According to the study, among the 1,648 unique books banned, 41% explicitly addressed LGBTQ plus themes, 40% of banned books in schools contained contained protagonists or prominent secondary characters of color. 338 banned book titles directly addressed issues of race or racism, which is around 21%. PEN America says, quote, at least 40% of bans listed in the index are connected to either proposed or enacted legislation or political pressure exerted by state officials or elected lawmakers to restrict the teaching or presence of certain books or concepts, end quote. Meanwhile, a survey from the American Library Association shows that 71% of voters oppose efforts to have books removed from their local public libraries. Martin is hopeful that their work to combat censorship will be successful and imagines what this period of time will amount to when she is looking back on it in the future. We're always paying attention about what's going on around the state. There's just been so many things going on. I mean, even like locally, I, I live in Bartholomew County, and I know that our local school system has had um, some challenges lately and um, some concerned citizens and parents and from both sides of the issue going to bo- going to school board meetings. So I'm just, we are always trying to keep up with everything, always trying to have, you know, a thumb on everything that's going on, because you never know what what something is happening now that might end up into uh, turning into a bill that is um, introduced in the state house. So it's always kind of trying to stay on top of things um, and knowing the backstory so that you can address the issues that that you think legislators are hearing about or if, you know, if your librarians or library yeah, librarians around the state really are, if they're talking with their legislators about things that are happening now, um, just trying to, to know where they stand um, so that you're always anticipating what could be coming up in the session. So we're mm-hmm. always working behind the scenes. I think when I'm 70 or 80 years old and I'm looking back at this time in my life and my career, like, what will I think? Like, where will we be then? You know, will it just be a blip? Will it be this huge thing? You know, it'll be interesting to see as we move forward where all this goes. Tune in next week to hear more about Indiana's education legislation. To read the full article written by Steve Hinefeld and photography by Garrett Ann Walters, you can visit limestonepostmagazine.com. To submit feedback to WFHB, you can email deepdive at wfhb.org, or you can leave us a voicemail at 802-552-3483.
Up next, Better Beware, your weekly consumer watchdog segment on WFHB. We turn to host and producer Richard Fish for more. Welcome to Better Beware. Here's your consumer watchdog from WFHB Community Radio with the latest information and helpful hints designed to keep your head out of the clouds, your feet on the ground, and your money in your pocket. I would be willing to bet that almost everybody who hears me talking uses social media to some extent. That includes you, am I right? But the whole social media landscape has gotten a lot more dangerous recently. The number of scams and swindles on social media grew 18 times, not 18%, 1,800% in just four years, and the rate of increase is still going up. Less than 5% of all fraud victims report to the Federal Trade Commission, but the FTC got 95,000 reports in 2021, totaling over $770 million in losses on social media. And it's a lot worse now. Here's what you should watch out for. On Facebook, beware of people selling things that aren't what they claim, in Marketplace or through community buy and sell groups. Watch out for quizzes and games that actually collect personal information. And fake charity appeals, both for disaster relief and for private appeals loaded with emotional language. If you use Instagram, that's a favorite for romance scammers, and people who develop relationships behind fake identities are riding high. They took in over $20 billion last year. Bogus products and services are out there on Instagram, and it's a very effective platform for giveaway scams and blackmail, too. LinkedIn has a lot of phony job postings, which merely collect your CV and personal information. There are fake services to help you write resumes or develop professionally, people posting bogus profiles, and all too many investment scams and cryptocurrency ripoffs. TikTok is a good place to find deep fake photos and videos and purchasing scams where you buy something that doesn't exist or somebody overpays for something you're selling and wants the extra money sent by wire transfer or gift card or some unrefundable method. And there are more and more fake influencers on TikTok showing off lavish lifestyles who want to help you make a lot of money really fast, but really for them, not for you. And if you are on the media formerly known as Twitter, now X, links to websites that install malware, fake surveys that are just phishing scams, and people impersonating other people are all increasing all the time. Social media has transformed the way we interact with friends, family, businesses, co-workers, and even strangers. But the bad actors are swarming these days, and the only defense you really have is educating yourself and being able to spot red flags and funky behavior before you join the vast pool of victims. Pass the word to your friends and family. The safer they are, the safer you'll be, too. I'm Richard Fish for WFHB News and Public Affairs. 
Better Beware comes to you from WFHB Bloomington, Indiana. Find all our episodes at WFHB.org. If you can help put the kibosh on a con, email beware at WFHB.org. Remember, swindlers never give a sucker an even break. Support for the WFHB Local News is brought to you by MPI Solar, a Bloomington business specializing in solar hot water, solar electricity, and solar hot air systems. MPI Solar designs and installs solar power generation systems that encourage independence and individual responsibility. More information online at mpisolarenergy.com. been listening to the WFHB Local News. Today's headlines were written by Cade Young and Welher Husky Schneider in partnership with CATS Community Access Television Services. Better Beware is produced by Richard Fish. Our theme music is provided by Mark Bingham and the Social Climbers. For WFHB, I'm Cade Young. And I'm Noel Husky Schneider. Thanks for supporting Indiana's only volunteer-powered, listener-supported, independent daily news program. You can hear tonight's full broadcast online at wfhb.org. The WFHB Local News is also available as a podcast. Just search our call letters WFHB wherever you listen to your podcasts. Subscribe to never miss another local news program. Stay tuned for Hereabouts Asian American Midwest Radio. Coming up next on WFHB. WFHB Local News on WFHB Community Radio. Our news is written and reported by volunteers working to provide local news, cover local issues, and strengthen our local community. We invite you to participate. You may submit questions, comments, and story ideas to news at WFHB.org. You can become a WFHB Local News Volunteer by attending new volunteer orientation. Feel free to check out the WFHB Local News Archive at WFHB.org to find newscasts, individual stories, and catch a live feed of the WFHB Local News. We are local, longer 